welcome to One of Two Hundred, the independent media and politics podcast, coming to you from New Zealand. I'm joined today by John and Greg to talk about whatever it is happening in UK politics at the moment. Welcome to the podcast, both of you. Kia ora. Now, uh, for those of uh, our audience who haven't kind of heard you on the cast before, John, do you just want to give us a, a quick intro and then we'll get one from Greg as well? Hi, my name is John. I live in Oamaru and uh, Te Waipunamu, and um, I am an escapee from Normal Island, and am like permanently, kind of stuck gazing in horror at what my home country has turned into. Um, I've been on here before to talk about. Oh, we talked about well, we talked about the Labour Leach report ages ago. Hey, and Star Trek that one time that was fun. And football. And football, yeah, yeah. Oh, and Silver Lake. Remember that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, all all good and normal things and not part of the precipitous decline of society as we tried to make capitalism work. And where do you come from, Greg? All right. Oh, yes. I'm Greg Haver. Um, long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> so it's... Uh, weirdly, I'm a music producer. And so I guess the question is, what the hell am I doing on a podcast about politics? And really, this has been my hobby I guess for the last like 15 20 years and this is the very first time I've been on a podcast discussing politics and it's uh fantastic so thanks, for us. Thank, thanks for having me I do appreciate it's a bit of a long shot it's like you know I did just drop you a twitter message can I come on the podcast and the fact you've let me on shows a lot of faith so <laughs> I, will, I will try not to completely screw it up hey I'm sure we'll be okay and you hail um, from somewhere in the UK. I'm not... from, yeah, I'm, well, I'm, I'm a bit of a kind of like, I guess, mongrel would be the, uh, would be the technical phrase. But I'm Welsh. My mother's Welsh. My father's a Cockney from the East End of London. Both big Thatcher supporters, both kind of like brought up in very conservative households. Got some Scottish heritage, some Irish heritage, um, some Russian. So I'm kind of a bit of everything. And I've, traveled a lot overseas and I've lived abroad a lot I've worked abroad a lot um I came to New Zealand to do some work in 2003 thought I'll better go because I'll never get a chance to go again and here I am 16 years later as a citizen of New Zealand which wasn't in my plans at all but um yes and I'm very 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 happy to be here but also kind of a bit distraught about the state of my home country Um, yeah I think that's been uh the experience uh for many of us who kind of hark back to the uk um i'm also uh all cards on the table i I was born in england i'm a i'm a uk citizen as well but yeah i i think there's a real difference of experiencing what's happening from the outside than being over there and just immersed in their political and media culture yeah i Um, mean I just I was I was back there um, in um, end of May, June, and July, and it was it was actually deeply shocking. I didn't think you know I, I obviously I, I I try to stay abreast of UK politics, and you know I, my family is still there. I have a lot of friends there, and but to have that two year break where I didn't go to the UK, which is the you know the longest time I've ever been away from the country, to go back and see. There's the degradation in everything, the the understaffing of hotels, restaurants, 
cafes, um, airports, particularly railway stations, um, just seeing the reality of, of Brexit kicking in, you know, as, uh, as you know, many people have pointed out, the UK went from a, a, a workforce of potentially 300 million down to 30 million. And it's like, it's, it's going to have an effect. And I tried to explain some of it because of, you know, because of COVID and, um, but just seeing, you know, the, a noticeable degradation in, in all services was actually really shocking. Yeah, you were over there again recently as well, right, John? No, I haven't been back since 2018, man. Oh, uh, I, geez. I had the uh, over for the first time. Oh, in like, I mixed uh, myself up. Yeah, yeah they, they, came out, they came out here and it was interesting. I think it was like uh, me and the old man were driving back from Dunedin um, one day and he just kind of went, you can't come back to, you can't come back anymore, like to live. And I was like, well, I wasn't planning. And it goes, no, no, you just can't because it's, it's just not like, it's not a good place to live anymore. It goes, I'm stuck there. You've got out. Good for you. And, you know, it's kind of a, you know, come back and visit us sometimes, but don't you dare move back to this country because it's a dreadful place. And what you've got in New Zealand is so much better. Um, and it does that kind of, the kind of cultural shift stuff. Um, that Greg was talking about, you kind of see it um, ironically through uh, illegal streams of uh, sports channels in the UK occasionally. <laughs> um, whereas in New Zealand, you get the you get the TAB kind of folded into Sky coverage and stuff like that, and then you get adverts for farming products and uh, GJ GJ Gardener and stuff like that, and the the Ram, the car you have to have, um, and all of that sort of stuff. But then when you watch a, a British sports stream every second advert's a betting ad and it's just kind of this kind of weird relentless money 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 that maybe you don't get as much here you don't kind of see it in that way and it's just one of those things that stuck with me recently where i'm like you know there's something very wrong over there but well there it's either that's fine actually or that's good actually is what i'm hearing yeah it's I mean, the Tories have been in for a long time now, right? Are we about 14 years, I think? 12, 12, 12, 12, 12 years. 12, years. 12, years. 12 yeah. long, long, dark And years. will be 14 years by the end of, by the time the election yeah, comes yeah. out. And, you know, and interestingly, you know, that's, that 12 years spanned, um, you know, sort of like a complete turnaround in fiscal policy, you know, from, from that idea of just like, you know, cutting everything to like, now spending whatever they they feel they want to spend to stay in power and it's uh it's really it's an incredible turnaround to see it's like to watch a party literally throw all their principles out just to stay in power is is alarming you know and i don't um, think we've seen the end of that like no, not, I, not even close <laughs> no i mean what, what you know what's what's the um you know you're looking at 150 to 200 billion pounds sterling for this, um, for the to cap uh, winter energy, you know, well, to cap fuel bills, you know, I mean, the the whole the whole um, scheme to sort of you know protect the, um, the British economy was only four hundred billion during COVID, and now another one hundred and fifty to two hundred billion in order to sort of basically bribe the electorate into sort of letting the Tories in for another term, and not taking any of that in a um, in a in a in a windfall tax on the energy companies. So that's all coming out of public borrowing. And then you factor in, 
you know the the tens of billions that that that, that Liz Truss has, has has agreed to spend or has, has proposed they spend on 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 the military, plus tax cuts. It's like, you know, what happened to fiscal policy? What happened to Labour being the being the party of uh, of you know sort of profligate spending? It's um it's it's pretty fascinating to see yeah. and and depressing. I think it's something that people maybe don't grasp um, from in New Zealand. You know, when we think about the conservative governments here with national, I mean, we know they're bad and we know that, you know, they have damaging policies over the last, when they've been in power over the last couple of decades. But the Tories in the UK are something else again. As you were saying, kind of in your description of your return to the UK, the degradation that they've brought um, just at every level is absurd. And that's only accelerated post-Brexit um, with Boris Johnson leading the Conservatives. Uh, he's kind of held on by the skin of his teeth for somewhat longer than people thought he might. And now we have Liz Truss getting the leadership of the party, barely supported within her within the Conservative Party itself, let alone by the public. Doesn't have the same kind of media camaraderie as Johnson Johnson did, um, so can't kind of play play herself off as being a buffoon or or doing the clown thing uh, to pretend that she's a, a person of the people. But she she's been around for a while. And John, if you wanted to kind of try and give us a bit of a rundown on, because I don't think outside of the UK many people would have really been aware of her. Did you see at the uh, the funeral? Um... The Australian TV. Uh, she got out Bye. of the car to walk into the Abbey, and they thought they were like, "Oh, we don't know who that is. Is that some kind of minor royal?" Or I, I, case in point, right? Like literally. I mean, Did... to be fair, she she basically got the job. She went and shook the Queen's hand, and then the Queen dropped down dead. So you know, good start, love. Keep going. Um, <laughs> but uh, it was it's it's very much a like obviously they've not had time to get to know her and stuff like that there's been this ongoing tory leadership contest but but liz truss as a liz truss is an interesting case because once again she's one of these people who's who is the the right wing child of someone who's actually quite left wing her dad's a maths professor was at oxford i believe um she also went to oxford did ppe because you've got to do that to become prime minister in the uk these days so she was um she went to uni i think she went like this is the bit where i start feeling really old um i think she went to uni in like she went to uni in like 92 93 that's when she was at uni and she did a ppe course which is three years and she was the president of the liberal democrats while she was at oxford so quite a big position if you're president of labor and stuff at oxford you are you know slowly working your way up the greasy pole What's interesting about Truss is that as a liberal, she's very much an economic liberal, like free markets. And the minute she left uni, she joined the Conservative Party. So she spent her time at university as the president of the Liberal Democrats uh, at Oxford. And then the minute she was out of there, she joined the Tories and started to try and become a Tory MP. That was her career arc. So, you know, this is not a really surprising career arc. You know, if you look at the Lib Dem and Tory coalition that we had from 2010 to 2015, 
it, it's not surprising. Lots of Lib Dems are more economically right than they are socially left, and that is an issue. So Truss um, tries to become a councillor, I think, succeeds at least once, uh, fails to become an MP a couple of times, eventually comes in on the, the Cameroon, Cameroonian tide in 2010, and doesn't do a lot, to be honest, you know? Um, she wrote the book uh, Britannia Unchained with Kwasi Kwarteng, uh, Priti Patel, I think Dominic Raab's in there as well. Basically a load of dead-eyed psychos who uh, treat anecdote like evidence for why we should do more free market economics. I mean, these are uh, children of Thatcher in a more aggressive way than, um, than you could accuse Tony Blair of being, but still the same mum, if you know what I mean. Um, also, you know, as a side note, she's the second prime minister to obviously publicly be known to have had an affair before they got into office because she was shagging Mark Field, who's a Tory MP, famous for throwing a woman out who protested at a fancy dinner by grabbing her around the throat and kind of bleeding her out. Um, this was before she became an MP. He was her mentor and they had a relationship for about two or three years. Um, she stayed with her husband. He divorced his wife the next year. Tory's going to Tory, um, yeah. in that case, you know. But I mean, also interestingly, she was a, she was a, fer a fervent anti-monarchist. In fact, there's there's a quite a famous speech of her as a Liberal Democrat, taking a very anti-monarchy position at the Liberal Democrat conference, and um, even pa and, and Paddy Ashdown at the time was um, horrified at the fact that she was trying to take the party further to the left, and 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 he, he commented that it was like. You know, if, if, if Liz Truss got her way, because she was proposing it as, 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 as party policy. And, um, it, you know, he was bemoaning the fact if she got her way, how, they're never going to get elected because they'd, they'd have had, they'll have have an anti-monarchist position as a Liberal Democrat party. And that was Liz Truss who proposed that, you know. I think, and then, I think it's it, fascinating it, it, it that just, we've actually got, like, of the three major parties in the UK at the minute, uh, the three major parties in England, um, I don't think there's, I don't think we've got Sir Ed Davey, the leader of the Liberal Democrats, on tape saying he's an anti monarchist, but we do have a Sir Keir Starmer <laughs> and, a, and Liz Truss on tape saying that, which yeah, is yeah. just that kind of perfect, yeah. oh, oh, as, oh, it doesn't matter yet, so I can say what I like. But the minute they got near power, it was, oh, we've got to, we've got, oh, actually, yeah. you know, I've got to save the Queen. It just well, goes to, it just goes to, it just, it, it's kind of trust in a microcosm, isn't it? It's like, she will move her position. She was also a Remainer, you know, and now she's mm. a fervent, pretty pretty much all her cabinet are, um, are part, of, part of the European Research Group, the ERG, mm. who are the, the, the most right-wing part of the Tory party. So she's moved from being an anti-monarchist on the left of the Liberal Party to being the kind of darling of the ERG in, in the UK Parliament. And, you know, nearly all, I mean, she very noticeably pretty much got rid of, well, she did get rid of all of Richie Sunak's supporters within the cabinet. There's no Sunak supporters left. Um, there's, there's a few on the kind of outside of the pack. They may be sitting on cabinet means, but don't have a portfolio. Mm. So really, it's like, it's the Johnson-esque kind of um, approach of basically loyalty counts for more than competence. And, you know, and her, and her cabinet is, I mean, I never thought we, you'd, that the UK would see a worse Home Secretary than Priti Patel, but Suella Braverman kind of like pretty much trumps that. And it's um, yeah, it's really a lot. You know, this is, you know, this is this is um, somebody who wants to get rid of the you know the, the European Human Rights Act, and it's like it's 
yeah, it's a really incredible switch from basically Liz Trust has obviously shown over the years that whatever it takes to get power is more important to me than any sort of principle. So, um, you know, which is not a great point to be prime minister of the UK, which is meant to be about in inclusivity and bringing in the union and supporting the union and bringing in the Welsh, bringing in Scots, bringing in Northern Ireland. And, and uh, you know, and, and during the Tory campaign, which I should point out, you know, is voted. So basically in the, in the last week, the UK has had a new monarch and a new prime minister none of them voted for by the public, mm. you know, but it's, it's like, it's the most undemocratic sort of a week in British history, I think. <laughs> uh, uh, and um, so, you know, it's, uh, and during her campaign, she basically berated Mark Drake for the, the, the Welsh first minister. She was really super critical of Nicola Sturgeon, the Scottish first minister. And it's like, how, do, how are you going to start holding the union together if all you do is, is, is just basically, yeah, she she refused. She's basically her position was to refuse to uh, talk to Nicola Sturgeon, and it got that's incredible. Of, it's she got, got lots of applause from obviously the Tory base who were at the hustings. So it's kind of um, it's just it's the worst foot you could get off on as a as a prime minister for the UK. It's like um, you know, it's I, I mean, there's even there's there are murmurings within the Tory party already because she doesn't have the. The majority support of the party in parliament because they voted for Richard Sunak. It's mm -hmm. only the base and and the because because she moved so far right to attract the base. When you say the base, was, you mean the membership, right? The membership of yeah. the Tory party, who basically the Tory party is it, it's the, the the leadership of the Tory party, and hence in this case the uh, the, uh, the UK Prime Minister is voted on by the um, the parliamentarians, you know, by 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 the the members of the Tory party in parliament. Um, they pick their top two, and then that top two goes to the goes to the, the party membership, who tend to be old, white, right wing, living in the southeast of England. So you can see, kind of see, you know, the sort of policies, anti-immigration, and um, you know, you know, very kind of like NIMBY sort of policies, and tax cutting, you know, all the real hardcore thatch right policies. You know, these were all supporters of, of Thatcher you know back in the back in the 80s like my parents were so so but now she's either got to move to the center or she's got to stick with those policies because there's murmurings already that some Tory members have already got their letters of, of you know of no confidence in to, to the 1922 committee to see um if um ready for her to like to, to screw up so she is you know, to try and force her out for the election and obviously there's this when they when they had a vote about who would be the most um, uh, the poll there was a poll amongst Tory members who would they like as the leader of the party Boris Johnson won that poll even after he was thrown out of being it's uh, it's insane it's insanity I, I I really can't even begin to uh, do we I mean we've already started to see some of that um, that policy direction and and it does look like she is going to try and stick the course on pushing more economically right-wing, but how did it even get to the situation where you had, whether or not this is true, but this perception of a more cosmopolitan, more socially liberal uh, Rishi Sunak, who had been a poster boy for compassionate conservatism um, under Johnson. Um, we, we all know this is absolutely, it's all lies. Um, just just to be clear, but this was the this was the media line, right? This is how he was promoted. Um, who is kind of trying to do more stuff with the union, 
who is, is more likely to be pro-immigration, um, is maybe on friendlier terms with, uh, with the EU, and, and a lot of the people in his own party, is it just a matter of trust was more cutthroat um, and more willing to play to the base? Who no, are it's the, it's no, yeah, it's that the Conservative membership would not vote for a brown man to be prime minister. That's 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 all. I, like it is. It's it's fantastic. It's 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 that they are so racist they could not do it. I mean, just just that that was the deal. You know, it doesn't matter about how managerial you were. It's the 65-year-old uh, Range Rover drivers who live in Thetford um, were given some red meat by trust and went for it because they didn't quite trust the shifty brown dude. Um, that she has kind of shored up claims of being elected because of her race by putting a lot of uh, people of colour, uh, children of immigrants into the major offices of state and stuff is not an accident. And I think there's a thing here where Truss is a clown, but <laughs> not in the way that Johnson was a clown. Like Truss does not have the ability to talk to the media in the way that say a David Cameron or even a Theresa May would. Truss does not have the public profile like a Boris Johnson would have. But the one thing that we have kind of, there's been a thread through what everyone's been saying here is that she does what she can, what she needs to do to survive, but she does have that core that core economic belief in there about free markets and stuff. As she had it, apparently she had it all the way back. Even though when she was like, "Oh yeah, abolish the monarchy," she was still very free market economics, kind of the right side, right wing side of the the Liberal Democrats, and she's just carried that through. But she's obviously making choices here as as greg said earlier she's going to put 100 billion in to keep the bills frozen until 2024 and that comes out of the thing it dwarf you know it'll eventually dwarf the, the covid response stuff and that is a market intervention which is against what she stands for but she knows it's a, like electorally popular and importantly it was more than what the opposition parties were calling for at the time she may be a clown and she may present like a clown and she's kind of funny looking and she talks weird and there was like this i was watching there's a sizzle reel of her weirdest moments already available on youtube and they are delightful i can tell you absolutely delightful but she is really fucking dangerous because she's a tory and they're always fucking dangerous <laughs> like I mean boris, boris johnson his managerial style was to just leave everyone to it and not really get involved that much and just fuck about because he wanted to be prime minister. He wanted the job, but he didn't want to do the work. What we've got, and Theresa May was trying to negotiate Brexit. So we never actually got to see what she would be like as a prime minister because it was just all Brexit all the time. So this is the first prime minister we've had since Cameron who kind of has the ability to just get on with a legislative agenda like or to legislate as they see fit without like Brexit negotiations or this sort of stuff coming in. And the difference between Cameron was that when Cameron was before 2010, Cameron had no ideological roots. He would do anything to just scrape into power. And he did. And once they got into power, they put austerity in. 
Truss has come in saying, I'm going to do this right wing shit and I don't give a fuck. And you're just going to have to fucking wear it. She will do some cost of living stuff, but she genuinely believes the way through here is to cut taxes and cut national insurance and pare down the state further. And the comparisons to Thatcher in that she's a Thatcher cosplayer, sure. But when Thatcher came in, there was quite a lot of meat left on the bones of the United Kingdom for her to cut. When trust comes in, there isn't. There is just the crisis caused by gen- like a couple of generations worth of that cutting. But she still thinks that she can scrape something more off here. And that is very, very bad for the UK. And things are already bad there. Yeah. I mean, the, the whole... Her whole policy here in Kwasi Kartings, uh, who's the new chancellor's policy, is t- to rely on growth. That's it. It's like it's it's that they they are they are hoping that growth will there'll be enough growth between now and twenty twenty four. But this is part of the reason why the um, the uh, the freezing of household electricity bills um, is till twenty twenty four. Is the t- is the time of the next election or around the end of twenty four, start of twenty. Uh, 25. I mean, one thing I should point out about going back to your earlier point about Richie Sunak about why he didn't get the nomination. A large swathe of the Tory party membership feel that he's the one that put the knife into Boris Johnson, and Boris Johnson is still really popular yeah, in the yeah. Tory membership. He, but he, and, and Truss's team were basically playing on this that he was the man that because he resigned. I think he was. I think Javid resigned first, and then and 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 then Sunak resigned. But they see him as putting the knife into Boris Johnson's back. They probably and, couldn't tell the difference between them anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry, yeah, membership. Yeah, and and very. It's, it's really fascinating. This whole you know, I see a lot of the British media. You know, oh, it's the most diverse cabinet ever. It's like yes, racially, but in political thinking, it's probably the most consolidated cabinet. You know, there, there is there is no. Um, there's no checks and balances in that cabinet. They all think the same. They're all ERG, pro-Brexit, hard Brexit. It's like um, it, there is no diversity in thought, just diversity in, in in race. And it's like, so that idea that, you know, oh, the Labour Party can't have, you know, they, they, they haven't got to have a woman leader and they haven't had a, um, you know, they, they don't. they don't have that same level of diversity. Well, there's a lot more diversity of thought within the Labour Party. And, you know, and it's... Um, it's really interesting to see that narrative being played out. It's like, you know, this, you know, if we've got we've got two Asian home secretaries who were the most right-wing home secretaries that the UK has ever had. So it's like, uh, you know, and, and look at uh, Pretty Patel's parents came over as immigrants. And it's like, you know, it's, it's a classic case of putting up the ladder after, you know, Who's you know, after... doing virtual signaling now? That's what I want to know. Who's the real woke, wokesters? Um, yeah, it's, it's frustrating as well, right? Because... It's just, sorry, it's, sorry, sorry. Up yours, woke. It's like <laughs> that, that Jordan Peterson thing. Let's see who cancels who. <laughs> I mean, it, like, it's, it is just running cover, right? Um, and as you say, or as you've, you've both uh, alluded to or, or said outright, this is in, an incredibly dangerous situation because neither politically nor in the analysis, whether that's in the media or, um, you know, in a lot of the civil civic spaces, are we really having this discussion about how quickly they can enact their um, kind of legislative drive? And we've already, well, it's been 10 days-ish since Truss uh, became prime minister. 
uh, and she's already gone on the world stage to talk about trickle-down economics uh, as if that still has any, as if it wouldn't have got her laughed off the stage, which it did, to the extent that the US president said, we, we just don't think that works anymore. That's been disproven over the last few decades. Um, a, a UK-US trade deal is basically off the table because of this. Mm. Which, which was the whole, you know, the main, one of the main selling points of Brexit was it'll be easier to get a UK trade deal with the US. And that was, but that was purely relying on Trump winning the 2020 election. You know, that's what British policy has come to. It's like you're relying on, on the US to sort of like their election cycle. Uh, and, um, and, and now, I mean, Liz Truss herself said yesterday, it's, it's going to be many years before there's a US-UK trade deal. I mean, Biden snubbed Truss at the, at the royal funeral. And it's like you, they were meant to meet and he called off the meeting. And, and so we'll, we'll catch up when we're in the UN you know, this week. And it's like, that would have been unheard of if, you know, a few prime ministers ago, you know, the special relationship and all these, you know, the, the whole idea of the, the US-UK relationship. And uh, it's, um, you know, I think Biden and Trust are so politically far apart that it's, uh, you know, this is a, this was, a, you know, the UK's Tory party was a party that was very supportive of, of Trump, if not overtly in the, in the media, privately you know and it's like i mean johnson was a huge i mean johnson is practically i mean as trump himself said britain trump you know so it's like um you know that whole idea of doing the uh you know liking the role but not doing the work that that, that we discussed earlier and it's like uh anyway i kind of digress but that you know that it's 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 kind of interesting that that what was such a key role a key part of brexit is oh we can get trade deals easily and you know trust take a lot of credit for basically bringing back trade deals that are already there anyway and, and claiming them as new trade deals. And they were just EU trade deals that have been transferred over. I mean, the, the New Zealand-UK trade deal is hugely beneficial to New Zealand. For me, the only Brexit dividend I can see is being a New Zealand citizen because, you know, the, the, the deal for New Zealand farmers, even within the music industry, the, 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 the change of, of, of the length of copyright law, these are all things that are beneficial to New Zealand and not to Britain. It, it became the... What, what was important to be seen having a trade deal, not what was in that trade deal. Um, would anyone like some, no, I say breaking news, I'm just looking at um, a Redfield Wilton poll that's just come out, um, 18th, dated 18th of September, and this is since the 3rd of July. Who can best build a strong economy in the UK? Uh, Keir Starmer is on 33%, down two points uh, in the last three months or a couple of months. Liz Truss is on 41% plus five. My goodness. But there was always going to be a pole bounce. There was always going to be a pole bounce. Oh, this, is, this, is, this is just on strong economy. This is just on, this is, and it is, the comparison is with Boris Johnson, but she's five points up. So let's see, it was 35 before. Yeah, she was 36, 35 ahead on Starmer before, and now she's eight points uh, no, she's yeah, she's eight points up. Like, it's a not it's a country with sick building syndrome. It's like like the air conditioner has a puddle of water next to it, and everyone's getting fucking legionnaires. I have no idea how, but there is something brutally wrong with that country. When you're in a a series of crises, to the extent that the UK is, 
and anything, any, any kind of scrap of bread or an extra bowl of soup uh, that is offered up to you is going to push you in a direction. Mm. Um, and the energy bills um, and the overwhelming messaging around tax cuts, around having uh, people having more freedom to spend the money they earn. Um, you know, we get that same narrative here in New Zealand all the time when when uh, whoever, ACT, the Tories, um, propose tax cuts. But it won't be to the same magnitude um, as what the UK media is able to uh, manufacture. I think there are probably a, a few reasons for that um, that are kind of environmental more than anything else. Uh, so Truss is, is the prime minister and we've just had the US president say the pandemic's over. There are a range of things like that. There's a, they're probably seeing the expediency that Truss is willing to engage in uh, in order to keep the electorate happy. But I I would not expect those numbers to hold much, I mean, much I mean, longer post-appointment. Um, I mean, the, you know, if a sign of her competence is the, the value of the pound, not going so well. The pounds are as lowest since the nineteen seventies. It's like it's one dollar sixteen, I believe. I remember when the pound was two. It was two dollars of the pound, and that you know just just before the crash in nineteen ninety two. And um, you know, it's there is no confidence from overseas. But she's going to have to go and raise a lot of money in order to to to, to make to make good on all these promises. As just aside from the from the um the you know the fuel capping. You know that all the other financial promises she's made, she's just she's going to have to go out and raise a lot of money, and there's no confidence in the national money markets in Britain and her being able to do it, and and, and there's no confidence in her in her plan to um that growth is gonna is gonna get her out of the problem. So, you know, it's like I think you've got to kind of at some point the kind of the the rubber's going to hit the road and it's going to be, mm. um, you know, it's all very well. I you know her place to deliver you know i'm going to deliver 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 if you can't go and raise the money you need to to deliver the electorate is is, is going to find you out and and, and you know the, i mean the tories are in this is going to sound this might sound weird but the tories are kind of incredibly lucky i mean if you think about it you know johnson is just really one of the worst prime ministers the uk's ever had but he was kind of saved by by covid it was like and then and then by the ukraine war i mean the Tories lent really into the Ukraine war and the support of Zelensky to, Zelensky to you know, to um, it, financially, because basically every time there was a bad UK press story, Boris Johnson was it was in was in Kiev, meeting Zelensky and you know with with his flat jacket on doing all this kind of like cosplay shit, and then and then Truss gets in. And then the queen dies the next day. The de- while she was announcing these policies that basically were unfunded policies to sort of like, uh, you know, to, to cap fuel bills. And and she's having essentially what is now going to... The press are calling a mini budget, but they're, the Tories are calling it a fiscal event. So that the difference between a fiscal <laughs> budget and a, a, a fiscal event and a mini budget is you have to account for every penny in a budget a fiscal event is giving away money with no, you, there's, you don't have to account for that money. So it's like budgets have to be run yeah. through civil service and governmental organizations, whereas fisc- fiscal events don't. So it's yet again, another sign of the conservative party, 
bending the rules and, and, and trashing what generational norms, you know, lie into the Queen's a classic example, you know, about pierogi in Parliament. It's like, you know, they lied to the Queen. It's like, you know, that, and no one's really, you know, people mention it, but no one's really, you know, a generation ago, that would have been a hanging offence, probably. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh my god! It's like, I mean, post-funeral, post it is. It would, it would, it would be a game, right? Like, given yeah. the amount of um, nationalism that has been yeah, spawned out of yeah, that. Yeah, if you can get arrested for holding up blank sheets of paper with the intention of writing "Not my king" on it, you're probably going to get hung for a lie into the lie into the monarch. But it's um, Britain yeah. is just such a strange place. It's like. The, the British put up with a lot of shit and just still keep going back and voting Tory. And it's yeah, like... Yeah, there's a, there's, a, there's a trap here as well. It's a trap, which is we're going to cut taxes. We're going to slash corporation tax even lower than we already have. We're going to take money off national insurance and we're just going to slowly load up the debt. And essentially, as I said, there are a bunch of dead-eyed, stone-cold psychos and they are more than willing to stare at any opposition party and say, I fucking dare you to go into an election saying we're going to raise taxes on everyone. I yeah. fucking dare you. Yeah, and during what and, could and, be an extended crisis, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, war in Ukraine, uh, stuff like that, but also like the cost of living crisis and stuff. I mean, we're not kind of talking about the underlying stuff here, which is this kind of rise in interest rates and stuff is kind of and the cost of living stuff is it's both a consequence of of covid in the short term because suddenly if you have like about i don't know 225,000 people drop dead in a couple of years um and you also cut off your cheap labor your cheap labor stream everything gets a little bit more expensive you know you've got a war in you've got a war in the breadbasket of europe oh shit um, we can't feed people, um, you know, oh, it turned out we hooked up our gas line to, to the country that's now invading Ukraine. Oh, embarrassing. Um, like lots of these, lots of these little things have all come together and it's all <laughs> little things. Lots of, yeah, minor, minor, minor <laughs> details, darling, details. Um, but there, there are lots of things that have come together, but it's also the underlying thing is we were trying to promote growth after the 2008 crash. The, the world like economic ideas here were if we slam the interest rates down to zero or as near to zero as possible, that will definitely spike growth. And it hasn't fucking worked. Um, we got the interest rates down really low, cut the shit out of the state in the UK with the austerity program, and it didn't work. And we are now, what, 12 years? No, 14 years after the crash. And the interest rates are starting to rise again because there's nowhere else to go. The cheap money has run out. It is impossible for this to continue in the way that it should do. There are no solutions here because the system fundamentally it fell over in 2008 and Gordon Brown, you know, oh, well, we saved the world economy. And it's like, yeah, did you? Or did you just put it on life support for this long and something has to be done now? And yeah. the problem is when it comes to something has to be done, as Greg pointed out, is that the Conservative Party of the UK is both incredibly flexible, intent on its own survival, well supported by the media, and they are decisive. Under Johnson, they weren't, and that was kind of a bit of an aberration in some ways. But when they decide to do austerity, they fucking go handy. If they decide to fuck over the miners, they go for it. Truss is going there. 
she's going right i'm going to cut the fuck out of everything that's left and i'm going to look sir keir starmer in the face of the next election and say what you want to raise taxes on the hard-working yeah. people of this country i don't think so pal and but I, I you know there is there's a strong resurgence in, in unionism which is really encouraging i mean yeah. you got guys like mick lynch who are just every time that guy's in the media it's incredible he just like mm -hmm. he just he you know he gets asked dumb media questions and he just like berates the person asking the question it's like you know like come on ask me a proper question don't ask me why if i'm a communist or not let's talk about you know the proper wages for my for my white workers and and it's like you know there's there's some really strong union leaders in the uk you know battle hardened by years of the of you know of, of the unions being attacked and it's like i think they're going to be a more formidable proposition for trust that you know i i think that the group of union leaders in the uk at the moment is stronger than it's been for a generation and mm. i i think trust is going to struggle taking them on and it's like because there's a, a groundswell of public support for unions again and it's um because it's like, well, hang on a second. You know, you, you look at the cronyism during COVID and, you know, sort of like, and the and the appointment of, of you know, of basically friends and cronies to the House of Lords. It's like, and and, and if Truss and Quateng do what they're threatened to do, take away the cap on bankers' bonuses, these are hugely unpopular policies. So the, 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 the public are going to look at the union leaders who are like, trying to fight for their rights. You know, the things that you and me for generations have, have, have been there to do. And it's like, it's almost like a return to old school unionism. And you can see it in the States as well. There's this creeping unionism, unionization of certain um, areas of like, um, and Amazon in certain areas and Starbucks in certain areas. You know, there is income inequality at some point, there will be, you know, maybe not a revolution, but certainly a reassessment of the public about, and COVID could be part of that, that reassessing of, you know, what is my life? Why have all these people become really wealthy during a pandemic and I've had to suffer? And why are the, are the working, is the working man? This is, this is Starmer's argument in Parliament said in the first PMQs to trust was, why is the working man or the working person paying for, for this price cap when really, you know, and, and you've got massive profits being made by by the by the energy companies. And then you look at Europe, where the same the same criteria, maybe not not Brexit, but the same criteria as far as like you know, Germany gets a much higher percentage of his of his of his hydrocarbons from Russia than the UK. The UK only gets four percent of its hydrocarbons from 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 Russia. Mm. And but the UK um, fuel bills have gone up by 216%. The, Fra the French bills have gone up by 4% because it's nationalized in France. So you've got all, you've got, and even the, in the countries like Germany where it's not nationalized, there's a much lower raise in fuel, fuel bills. So it's, it's down to profiteering. It's down to, you know, it's down to the, the governmental support of, of, of big energy companies over the working person. And, and I think this, this, is, this could be where the real rub happens, where it's like, you know, the working man rises up, maybe not with pitchforks, but certainly <laughs> kind of like the ballot box. So, you know, yeah. I, 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 have some, I have some confidence that things, trust might get a bump, or she will, I'm sure she will get a bump, but I, and I think the whole royal funeral thing and her looking prime ministerial, you know, that all feeds into it. And, and the British love of establishment, it's, but, 
when winter comes and the fuel bills start coming in, even capped is still going to go up. And Labour were proposing a, a cap at two, 1,950, I believe. Mm-hmm. You know, the Tories cap is 2,500. There's still a lot more on people's bills that were under a thousand pounds. Yeah, over, the, pe- you know, the, the poorest ago. people aren't affected by that cap. Not really. Um, the the people who are who are struggling, but like were already doing everything they could to keep their fuel bills low. Like yeah. it's still the their fuel bill is still potentially going to double if yeah, two thousand five hundred yeah. is a cap, which is yeah. totally unsustainable. Yeah. Um. My my big worry because I, I agree with you around uh, some of the kind of reestablishment and reinvigoration of civic society. Um. In, in the UK and uh, you know other parts of the Commonwealth, um, such as it such as it is, but I'm not as convinced that it can be tied back to electoralism, given the way the establishment functions currently. Um, and we've seen Starmer taking people on his bench to task for showing up at union um, demonstrations or showing up on picket lines. Uh, I don't know if that factors into the Tories plan at all um but as, as is often the case with a consolidated kind of political media blob uh any left-wing electoral parties are pulled hard to the right uh mm. you know just on the basis of what's being done so to see trust beginning um with a tax cuts, massive subsidies to energy companies, which let's be clear, that's what this is. It, like, it's been called a cap, um, but this is public money being spent uh, and basically going straight into the pockets of, of en- energy companies, which are obscenely price gouging, as, as you referenced with you know, the, the prices in other European countries, while at the same time using it as, a, as an expediency to suggest that they're going to reopen fracking. Um, and other extractive industries, again, uh, trying to pop up, prop up those private interests um, under the guise uh, of necessity. I don't, I'm not sure how much it matters that, you know, even if Labour kind of hold the line, um, get back on side with the unions, it, win the next election, what I'm looking at is how much damage will Truss and her coterie of hard right, you know, Thatcherites do in the next two years. Um, and yeah, as you said, John, what, what options will Labour have during an election campaign to say we're going to make this better? Um, because it's probably not going to be putting up taxes on, you know, the everyday person will they have the guts to take aim at big corporates? That's really going to be the big question over the next 12 months. Um, will, will they echo what we're hearing in civic society from uh, you know, unions, uh, from uh, the Tribune, Double Down, uh, Novara, uh, around windfall taxes, um, around pulling back some of those profits and and using them to like reinvigorate public services or will they ignore it? Will they, will they find themselves trapped in the new reality uh, that trusts and the Murdoch media of their create uh, and be paralyzed? I, 
yeah, I, I'm not sure. <laughs> and that's probably the most worrying thing of all to me. It is. You look at the, you look at Keir Starmer's Labour Party and the one characteristic which defines them is their lack of ruthlessness or their fear. They are afraid. Um, Starmer himself looks terrified when people start asking him hard questions. Um, but they are what they are afraid of is that there is a crisis and the solutions to many of the things of the crisis, the, the solutions that should come from a socialist democratic party are those which were proposed quite heavily by the former leader of the Labour Party, <laughs> whose name escapes me. <laughs> and they cannot go near that because in British public life and in, in British political life, uh, the Labour Party between 2015 and 2019 is the Chernobyl elephant's foot. If you get close enough to it, you are dead. You cannot touch it. It's why the the policy that they had around the energy bills was, um, oh, we'll do a windfall tax, but we'll also subsidize the bill. So we'll pay the company public money and then we'll take the public money back. But some of it, not all of it, which mm, for six months, and I'm not sure if that includes businesses as well. I know the trust's plan does, but the solutions to the crisis do not involve economic managerialism. There is no technocratic solution to them. The fact that the system has been broken now for 14 years and, you know, we've been trying, you know, they tried to stimulate growth with low interest, et cetera, et cetera, and that has stopped. But they can't suggest anything else. I mean, the, the Labour plan was essentially just a slightly, like, they, they announced it about four days after the Lib Dems basically said the same thing. It's... There's no innovation there because they have been they they find themselves hemmed in. Where I think they're quite happy to let the Lib Dems become left wing again in heavy quotation marks, and they sidle up as close enough to the Tories to peel their voters off. But as you've said, if the Tories just keep going right, then Labour are going to have to follow them because. I did think Greg's point about the unions. Yes, there is some fantastic union work going on. You know, uh, the CWU, the RMT, uh, Sharon, uh, Sharon at Unite, who's leading the Unite Union, fucking great work. But they are doing that not with the support of the Labour Party. They are doing that despite what the Labour Party is doing, which is trying as hard as possible not to get tagged with this, well, you just support the unions. Mm. So Starmer, he can talk about, like, oh, the working man may have to pay for this. Starmer's plan to pay the thing for six months was pretty much the same thing. It was pretty much the same thing. It's still, he's still operating within this bubble where he's accepting the conservative worldview of, well, the stuff all has to be paid for and we've got to do it this way and we've got to do it that. Yeah. And that unwillingness to address the fundamental structural problems in the economy is why when it comes to an election trust will just say what you you just you're just a left winger you just like like the last bloke or you're too close to the unions or you want to put taxes up on people and because as you said it operates within that 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 reality which exists between the conservatives and the british media and that labor are desperately trying to nudge themselves in on it just like you know, I'd rather a Labour leader, when asked about this, saying, 
yeah, we're going to tax rich people a fuckload more. We're going to close the loopholes and we're going to do this. And it's going to make it better for everyone. Like Mick Lynch would do if he got the job, which mm, he won't yeah. because he's too busy representing his members. Yeah. But they, it is impossible for a Labour leader to do that now. It is impossible, which is I mean, it, dreadful. It is telling that it's um, in order to get the Labour Party back to being electable after, after, the, after Corbyn, is kind of like I mean I I often sort of play this kind of game with myself about if we all do we all do when you know <laughs> if David Miliband had been elected instead of Ed Miliband would 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 we be in a whole different scenario now you know because David Miliband he was the prime ministerial brother he was you know it was he was much more Blairite in his kind of outlook for the Labour Party it was it was much more centrist much more sort of, you know, fisty conservative. And so, and, and I think, I mean, I'm, I would much rather see Andy Burnham or Angela Rayner as head of the Labour Party. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of both of them. I think Burnham is doing a great job in Manchester. I think he's, he's very much the kind of like, you know, the working man's kind of like politician. And, you know, but I, but I can see what Stan is trying to do. He's trying to walk this really thin line of like, because the Corbyn years were so disastrous for Labour, as far as, you know, electorally, yeah, apart from the anomaly with Theresa May running the worst campaign in history, you know, where it, it, I mean, that was actually problematic for the Labour Party long term because it made Corbyn look good. It's like he could get elected next time and then he got absolutely wiped out by Boris Johnson. So, so Thomas walking this really thin line in, in, you know, how do you appeal off Tory voters? I mean, you know, I, I think they'd be better off having some sort of like, you know, informal agreement with the Lib Dems to sort of like, let's try and let's do what we can to get the Tories out. Let's, you know, let's let's support the Lib Dem candidates in in in, in like the South the Southwest. I don't think that works. You know, I don't think that works. I, I think but it's I mean it's worked in all it's worked in lots of by-elections recently. This is why the Tories has not won any by-elections. So yeah. it's why 2019 it, it, was like it was. Um the Brexit party literally only ran candidates you talk about the red wall and stuff like that, you know, all of those seats and that crushing defeat. Nigel Farage and the Brexit party only stood Brexit candidates in seats with Labour MPs and yeah. Remain Tories. And it split the vote in almost all of the cases in those seats. It was, it was a very, very lovely, if you're a complete psycho, uh, bit of like electoral, like ankle tapping to get in there and just take out, because if, if your majority is X amount, just take out three or 4,000 of those votes, you know? Yeah. And then it, then the, as you've said, the ERG and stuff, which is essentially kind of the Brexit part a lot, have been reabsorbed into the Tory party. It was yeah. like, it, it, you look at it and it's something that everyone goes, oh, well, it was the worst defeat in thingy. And I'm just like, yeah, that'll happen if you've got a party that is deliberately coming just, yeah. just specifically for you. You know, not just a, to manipulate the votes. Yeah, it's it's you know it's it's spoiler like a spoiler party type thing. You know, it's a real real neat real neat bit of politicking, which you know often gets overlooked. Yeah. So I, why, I hate, why don't I hate you? It, why, but... So why don't you think it works, Carl? Why why what do you not think electoral packs worked in a first past the post system? I I don't. Um, not. Okay, there are two parts to it. One, I don't think Labour and Lib Dems have shown they're able to strategically work at that level. There's 
Labour is a Labour and the Lib Dems are a more broad tent than something like the Brexit Party was. Um, where it was, they would be incredibly focused on single issues and pull votes that way. I'm not sure that that technically works in an election with two established parties. But the main reason why I am unconvinced um, under first past the post uh, that trying to stand up votes from from other parties, so having a non-compete clause or whatever, is that we're already struggling with turnout. Uh, and I think that's going to get worse um, as crises get worse. And I think Labour probably have a choice to be very forthright uh, and try and reinvigorate their base and get voter turnout up or to try and game it. And I'm, I don't think they can effectively do both because trying to game... Like, even if it's not like really being hyper cynical or anything in the way that it'll be presented, it's just something that people just like, okay, well, I guess I'm not voting this year. And especially for. But aren't you underestimating the sort of like after 12 years of, you know, of, mm -hmm. of, of, of Tory government and, you know, all the things that have gone wrong and <laughs> the next two years could be a disaster. I mean, it's, we haven't really. They could. I mean, you know, the, the British press, and particularly the BBC, have pre pretty much ignored Brexit and all the problems that it's caused. And it's like, at some point, we're going to be free of war, free of, like, um, you know, a pandemic. It's like free, free of dying monarchy. And, and, and people are going to already, like, the la like, last year, people going back and holding again. It's like, you know, why am I having to queue in this massive, like, two-kilometre queue when there's a queue that I used to be able to go in? You know, why have I got to pay more for my mobile phone again? And it's just to or, see the Queen's Coffin. Yeah. Or, <laughs> <laughs> it's like the Queen's Coffin queue is like airports for British people in Europe now. You know, it's like you stand in these massive queues uh, and you can't go for the European, you know. I travel on my New Zealand passport when I go because... It gets me to the same amount of places my British passport does in Europe, but nobody hates me because I'm a Kiwi, not a Brit. <laughs> and and and, you're, and, the, and the rest of Europe hate hate the Brits. It's like you know, see, so oh well, you're in New Zealand, oh great, well you know, welcome. And it's like you're a Brit, and no one gives a shit. Yeah, if the true, if Brexit really starts to bite and people connect all the problems that are happening as Brexit as a really core part of those problems. <clears throat> The, the, the Labour Party is just as guilty as the Conservatives did. It's very, really brought up as a problem because obviously the Red Wall and, and you know, and, and the Labour base. And look, at, I've only got to look at Wales, my home country. It's like Wales voted to stay, to stay, to leave Europe. And it's like where my hometown where I was brought up was completely rebuilt with the European structural money. And it's like, you know, at some point people are going to realise, but, you know, it's... It, it could be a decade away before that really, you know, before there's a really good debate about it. But at least there could be some discussion about yeah. rejoin, rejoining the, the, the uh, customs union or just things to make exporting and importing easier. Because ultimately, if, if Trust is looking at a high growth structure, I don't feel that's policy, that that's a, re a realistic policy to have with a hard Brexit, because they, they don't go hand in hand. It's like importing and exporting. It's so, it's so difficult now. It's so arduous as far as paperwork is concerned. You know, you can't have, without that really, 
that free flow of goods in and out of the UK, you're not going to be able to work, build those yeah. growth strategies. You need to improve the economy. See, I, do, I think my main concern is that the technicalities of that are not votable. Um, you, you're not going to be able to go to the electorate, Lib Dems or Labour, um, and say, we want to we want to do this. Um, or we think you should vote for Labour in these cases and Liberals in these cases and... Um, this is why, uh, and so Lib in one, two, three, four, and then Labour over here, um, and this is how we get the Tories out. I think there's the potential that the Tories make themselves so toxic that they just do the job for themselves, um, and you can you can maybe get in on that argument uh, in, in that case. Uh, but why not offer something um, just at odds with the Tories at that point? If, if the Tories have destroyed their their electoral chances to that extent you don't even need to try and game it you can just run stuff and and try and get in with the Labour majority but i think even if the crisis continues to get worse and it looks like trust is going to try and make it do that you need some really key uh planks uh to go to the election with um that people that energize people that get them out to vote for you and uh, flip your vote depending on who the most likely to beat the Tories is uh, isn't isn't emotive in the way that they're going to need it to be and, and I, I think mean, that's the, what I, it will come down to. I mean the red the the the, the red wall that obviously that the you know the the Tories took off mm. Labour in the north you know that because Scotland isn't in the Scotland isn't a factor anymore because the SNP have pretty much got Scotland. What used to be a really strong Labour vote is, is essentially tied up with the SNP. So the Red Wall is going to have to come back to Labour. Um, Wales has always been Labour. Wales has been Labour for. There's never been a Conservative um, uh, majority in Wales. Uh, it's like um, so. Wales is always going to be there as a, as a Labour supporting country, and and Drake was doing a really good job there. And you know, and Sturgeon's done a great job in, in Scotland as far as like you know solidifying her base. But so the only only thing that Labour can really do is, you know, eat away at the Red Wall, get get those votes back, you know, start making some inroads into the southwest. But it's it's going to be hard. I mean, an eighty seat mm -hmm. majority is hard to overturn in one election, mm -hmm. and the Tories are going to have to. You know, Johnson was on the way to monumentally fucking it up and making it making Labour electable again. You know, trust is going to have to carry on that that standard of fuckery, and, yeah. and maybe go a bit further as far as really, you know, policies that are really unpopular. Um, uh, you know, for Labour to really get a shot at, you know, shot at the next election, yeah. even if the even if they are ten points ahead in the polls, I think it's you I know, there just has to be pressure there though as well. Um, and I'm not sure that Labour is bringing that yet. I really hope they do. Um, I hope. At least the rhetoric um, from Starmer uh, and his front bench ramps up, and they just hit Tories every time there's something bad happening for uh, the British people. Uh, it is tied directly back to the Tories unequivocally, um, and it's the unequivocally part which I'm not certain they're going to land. But yeah, I think we're just <laughs> we're just not going to time. We could talk about this for hours. Because there's just so much detail, and especially once you start getting into like electoral calculations, I'm always constantly impressed by by MMP, and it's like and it's like 
oh god if we had that in the uk things would be so much better yeah. you know just to have some sort of representation i before i moved here i actually i was living in 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 the cotswolds in south gloucestershire which is the strongest tory seat in the country and i always felt there was me and one other person down the road voting <laughs> for labor and and my postal vote is still there so although i religiously vote every time my vote doesn't really count for anything Whereas if, if there's some sort of proportional system, at least I felt that mm-hmm. that I had some representation. And that's what I love about the electoral system here. You know, flawed though it is, and this is obviously a debate for another day, but, you know, <laughs> I, I would love to, you know, and I can't see any point in the future in the British electoral system changing because of the strength of the two parties. And, and yeah. the Lib Debs tried in coalition and didn't work. And it was, it was a very tokenistic gesture by Cameron, but it's... Um, yeah, I, I I long for a, a New Zealand system in the UK, and it's um it's uh, and it's it's going to take a really big push, yeah. and uh, you know from Labour to actually get back in, and it's and that's kind of alarming. That the thought of another four or five year cycle after the next two years of Tory government, the damage that could be that's when the real damage will be done. That's when you're looking at every every port being a free port, every you know sort of like all constitutional norms trashed. You know, practically a, a sort of like a you know a sort of dictator, dictatorial system. God, God like Emperor the, King Charles III. Yeah, the the legal system falling apart. I mean, yeah, Look, don't the, even the, start. The real, don't... the real horror show here would be a tragic helicopter accident leading uh, King Andrew. No, stop. There we go. That, that's that's <laughs> yeah, the dark yeah. stuff. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I think Thank you for lightning for the mood. Coming, coming back to like electoralism and things like that, you look at, um, again, I, I talk about a Labour Party that's afraid. Um, it's afraid of being linked to Corbyn. It's also being, it's also afraid of the 2015 election where they thought they were going to win. And the Tories hit them with, they're in the pocket of the SNP and they're in the pocket of the Liberal, you know, they're in the pocket of another thing. And I think Starmer specifically has ruled out uh, forming electoral pacts with any party. Yeah. Like he's 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 come out. I mean, assuming you can trust what he says, which some of the time um, you're not, you can do. But he he's come out against it because they again the the Labour Party have not worked out a way to win an election since 2005, and they are trying to cobble together bits of what Blair did to win and things here, and they're trying to make it work. I mean, as you as you said. Greg, it's a it's a very fine line that Steimer has to walk, but it's not a line that he's created. It's a line being drawn for him by the British establishment, saying if you want to get anywhere near power, you have to behave this way and do these things. Yeah. And I think your point about constitutional norms and all of that sort of stuff is also another sign, which is those things were always, you know, oh yeah, yeah, you've got to do that. But what we've had is as this economic crisis has continued over the last decade or so more and more trashing of these norms because people have just gone well why the fuck should we you know why 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 should we follow this rule why should we do this why should we do that because the situation is desperate and desperate time calls for desperate measures and going well are we going to restore some of these things in politics? You know, are we going to restore trust in politics, you know, because of the Boris Johnson stuff? And it's just like, I don't think that comes back because someone wants it to anymore. I think it's gone. And that's a real issue. I totally agree. I mean, it's like, you, you see it in the States. It's like, 
once though once those you know what were you know Britain has no written constitution so once once you've broken the rule that's it there, there's no clawing it back there's no more honor amongst thieves you know it's like you you can't claw that stuff back and, and the, you know even though the state's got a written constitution once you know the, the last four or five years that's broken you know it's like normal the idea of normal politics is, is gone forever so you know the labor party has to look you know they've got this constant you want to do the right thing by everybody and and and, and be morally upstanding because you don't want to be like the tories and just like break everything just because you can and because it benefits you and you're not so, you're not empowered to do so anyway <laughs> yeah and you're not empowered to do it so it's like you know it's Soon, you know, as soon as as soon as the Tories started attacking, you know, attack and 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 the client media in the UK who were, you know, a huge part of this, you know, atta- attacking judges for not ruling in favour of the government, and you know, the whole enemies of the people thing shtick, and it's like once you know, once once the 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 Tories set their attack dogs on somebody, whether that's Neil Kinnock, Jeff, Jeremy Corbyn. They've tried it with Starmer and not being quite success, not being so successful, which has been heartening because you know the character assassination of Corbyn was pretty, you know, complete. I remember that you know Neil Neil Kinnock and the sort of um, you know were the last person please turn the light off, you know, when they after the sort of with the picture of elect Neil Kinnock's head with a light bulb, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like and it, and really it was only you know one of the main reasons Blair got in was for the support of the Murdoch press you know he they managed to turn the press around John Major had screwed things up so monumentally that, fuck that's bleak yeah it's like the, the, can court can Starmer do it without without turning you know getting the mail on side or the telegraph on side or the times on side I, I don't know it's like it's 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 tough because all those you know all those uh, uh you know newspaper barons they all want peerages and 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 the Tories are in a position to give them those peerages, and it's like it's bribery on the highest level. Sorry, well, that's I think really I, you know that's great. I and mean, you know what? Like, <laughs> let's let's leave that as the last word, um, just so our entire audience can uh, go to sleep thinking about it. Um, <laughs> but no, for the, the last thing I want to do is I want to get you both on the record as to whether or not you think Labour uh, can be successful uh, at the next election in the UK. Labour confidence and supply agreement with the SNP and the Lib Dems. <laughs> not, not an outright majority, I okay. don't think. I don't, like, I don't think they can get there, uh, but I think that there might be like okay. a, a deal is done. Okay. Or, or, or chaos mode, um, another Tory Lib Dem coalition. <laughs> oh, that would be a nightmare. How about you, I I don't think the Lib Dems would dare do another Tory coalition. It was so backfired so horrendously on them last time. I I I actually agree with John. I, I think that I, I just don't think there's enough. The eighty seat majority is too big to overturn, and without without a crushing defeat for the Tories in the Red War. And I think I think some sort of co- I think yeah, um, supply deal or some sort of coalition with the Lib Dems. I mean, the SNP, I, I agree, are, are probably a really big player in this, but it's like, there's such, a, there's such, I feel from you know, all the commentary and from being being back in the UK for a bit, there's such an, there's, there's that feeling against the Tories that I felt in early 90s with it, you know, you know, because you know, Major only scraped in and, and managed to get another fight you know, for the four or five years. And by 92, everyone was so sick of the Tories. It's like, whatever it takes to get the Tories out. 
I feel it's moving that direction, but I still don't feel it'll be enough for a majority Labour government. So I'd say, yeah, Labour, largest party in the coalition, uh, maybe with the Lib Dems would be enough. I think I, I feel the Lib Dems are sort of starting to make some good headway. It's been, you know, after a pretty miserable like four or five years. So, so yeah, on the for me, and I think some of that's wishful thinking. But hey, as long as we're like clear-headed about that, yeah. But if you'd have asked me a year ago or eighteen months ago, I thought there wouldn't be a hope in hell. So, it's it feels like things are moving in the right direction. So let's hope the next two years, well. Do you hope the next two years are a disaster in order for Labour to get in, or do you want? You know, do we? Do I want my home country to actually, you know, to to have some good fortune? And I don't know. I think I'd rather have a bad couple of years there to kind of get the toys out. But hey, fantastic! Hey, thank you so much, both of you, for joining uh, me on One Two Hundred. My pleasure. Thank you yeah. very much for having us. Pleasure as always. If you've enjoyed that, uh, you know what to do: uh, share, retweet. Go on Twitter and tell us what you think will happen at the next UK election. Sound off in the comments. Uh, Give us a five-star review. We've got a Patreon link in the summary as well. That's been another midweek episode of One of 200, looking at uh, a broader swathe of issues in our normal current events. We'll catch you on the weekend with some of that. See you later. Relentless routines The dying embers of your dreams the lie aspirational Will you die keeping your glass half full? The relentless routines The dying embers of your dreams Is a lie aspirational Will you die keeping your glass half full? You don't hate your nation You hate nationalism You don't hate your nation, you hate nationalism